So, <clears throat> three, two. You're listening to Missing Out with Lex Michael and Tari J. Let's start the show. Hey guys, welcome back to Missing Out. I'm Tari J. Miller. I am Lex Michael. And today we're talking about one of my favorites. We're diving into the world of anime, and we're starting with Samurai Champloo. It was an anime not really based on a manga, which is new, uh, or a newer concept for anime, uh, because typically they were based on manga, and then after that established audience they take that over to the animation realm so this came out in 2004 it was directed by shinichiro watanabe who also uh, directed samurai no not samurai shampoo cowboy bebop which is people's typical first anime that they're exposed to that's one i hear a lot when i ask people what a good gateway anime is cowboy bebop comes up maybe more frequently than any other title yeah and his style, as you've seen with Samurai Champloo, is very much to kind of blend a bunch of genres and make you fall in love with the characters. And so that's where a lot of the story comes from. Uh, and so this was his first project after Cowboy Bebop. It was a short run series, just 26 episodes. Uh, he told the story that he wanted to tell, and then he moved on to different projects. Uh, so that is the general gist of Samurai Champloo for those who wonder what Champloo means. I had um, that, I had that thought at yeah, one point. Yeah, it's, well, I guess basically it's based on a, the word Champloo, which, uh, can be translated as like mix up or shake up. So it's like. That tracks. Uh, right. Uh, as, as you watch and you see them doing the record scratching and all that stuff. That's kind of where that gets mixed in there. Well, I also like that, and I will we'll talk about how I am very much an anime outsider, uh, mm-hmm. not just to specifically this program, but anime in general has never really been my bag. But I will say just right off the top, there is something, I don't want to, maybe not endearing necessarily, but something somewhat captivating about the notion that all of the events that I witnessed in this story, the big events seem to be sparked by these two dudes unwillingness not to try and kill each other. Uh-huh. I think that's a really fun jumping off point. It tracks with what you were just telling me. Yeah. Um, and so I made Lex watch the first four episodes, which is basically the uh, first act. Essentially the crew gets together, they have a couple of adventures and then that's when they finally decide to stay together moving forward. Um, of the four episodes, you mainly get two two separate arcs. Um, you get the uh, initial phase arc. Yep, that's how that works. Phase arc. Um, and then you get their first real adventure apart and then coming back together. Yes. Um, so these... these uh, episodes to me i think when i first watched them when i was younger i was just like oh man hip-hop and cool samurai fights ah and look at the art so cool uh and now that i have a bunch of years of uh story analysis and character analysis under my belt like it really resonated with me a lot more See, and what we were talking about right before we jumped on the mics was I found myself, and I, I did enjoy 
the four episodes that I watched. And I really was not sure how I was going to react to it. As I said, I'm very much an outsider to anime. And I've tried at a number of points in my life to get into an anime because I had a bunch of friends, even if it was just in high school. I think on a, a previous episode, we talked briefly about Dragon Ball Z. Mm-hmm. And now for the longest time, a bunch of my friends were really into it. And I made an effort, but I was never really able to connect with it the way they seemed to. I was exactly age appropriate for Pokemon when that entire thing started. Yeah. So I saw a bunch of that. The cartoon. Yes. Saw a bunch of it. And I think that's the maybe the closest that I've come to being able to say, yes, I followed an anime for a while. Uh, beyond that, I really enjoy the little anime sequence in Kill Bill Volume 1. And, and beyond that, I've never really found one that I felt connected to. Even Gotham Knight, I had a hard time getting into. And that has Batman in it. Oh, yeah. So a lot of my experience watching these four episodes was really trying to uh, retrain my brain to teach myself how to watch the show that I was watching. So I got I got all of the broad strokes, but most of what I really felt like I absorbed was aesthetic stuff. Like yeah. I definitely got a sense of who all the characters are, and they reminded me of other types of characters that I'd seen in similar stories. I mean, just the, the two main samurai characters Jin and Moog, Moog, Mugen Mugen thank you I have like I made a note of his name multiple times and I was still like it's Mush, it's not Mushu Mowgli <laughs> Mowgli no yes it's Mowgli he's um, a wild guy but that Mugen they both reminded me very much of characters I've seen in a number of let's say uh, Kurosawa movies and I'm sure that that's very intentional. Yes. A lot of stories that Kurosawa is most revered for telling are set, also set in the Edo period, mm-hmm. uh, that, that uh, Tokugawa era. So uh, aesthetically, a lot of it was very familiar uh, in that sense. I liked the art style a lot. I loved the the soundtrack. The hip-hop music is really great. And, like, it all feels really cool. Yeah. Like, if I was going to use one word as uh, simple as it may be, as simple and maybe even reductive as it may be, it's very cool. But like I said, I spent most of the time just getting my brain onto the right track. So I, like I said, all the broad stuff I feel like yeah. I got. And there's some certain, there's specifics that I feel like maybe I missed because I was putting so much effort into, okay, you you know what's happening. You yeah. Just, just absorb. Just like open that mind up a little further. Okay. I have... I have questions about that. Okay. Uh, before I ask my question, uh, it's funny that you mention uh, Kurosawa because essentially this style, this genre, is it's specifically known as Chanbara, which is like the epic action-oriented samurai flick. So after World War II, they started changing their samurai stories to be more action-oriented as opposed to dramatic. And so they instead of focusing on things like the way of the samurai and and things of that sort it became more about ronin and wandering samurai and people without a place and and essentially the world moving on without them and so that's where this draws from and i imagine that's also not imagine that is in fact where kurosawa draws his uh style from as well so this is heavily influenced by that makes sense and it felt very Familiar, and I get that, that made it a little bit easier, I think, for me to get on board with what they were doing because there were so many elements that I had not necessarily seen mashed together, yeah. but that individually felt very familiar to me. Okay, so what is it that kind of feels? I, I 
hesitate to use the word alienating, but like, what is it that you need to get your brain wrapped around in order to really just settle in and enjoy the, the genre? It's a really, honestly, I'm not sure. I feel like every time I've watched an anime in the past, even when I really like it uh, on an aesthetic level, even like, for example, I've seen, oh, uh, uh, handful of movies that uh, Miyazaki did. Okay. And I think they're beautiful and I think they feel incredibly, they feel comfortable. They feel very much like you're wrapping yourself in a blanket. But at the same time, I feel like they're all at least an arm's length away from me as far as how fully involved I am. I feel like when I watch a lot of movies or television and I try to create as immersive an experience for myself as I possibly can, best case, I feel in a way like I'm falling into it. Like, obviously, you know, you're watching something on a screen. You're, ob- you're at a great remove from the actual uh, events you're watching. Yeah. But I feel more in it than I do with anime, where even though I feel very almost lulled by them in some cases, like almost every anime that I've ever seen in a non-action scene, like when they're, when they're you know, walking around talking, you see a lot of like these wonderful landscapes and these big blue skies. And you, for some reason, always hear like in the background on the, on the soundtrack, you hear birds chirping. Mm-hmm. It's, very, it's very mellow and it's very relaxing and I like all of it, but it always feels like it is, it is very far away from me. Interesting. Somehow. I mean, I imagine it's kind of like how it takes a while to adjust to British comedies and things of that sort where like, from a cultural perspective, you don't have the context for a lot of what's happening. And so you're essentially spending a lot of time trying to find your access point into it. And a lot, it, you can't really focus on what the story is because you're essentially trying to figure out where to get in. Yeah, I actually was having a conversation with a friend of mine super recent because I watched, uh, I caught up with the Ghost in the Shell movie that came out recently. Uh huh. It's all right. It, it, interestingly, though, I feel like it would have played a lot better you know, a decade plus in the past before everybody had gotten a chance to see all of the things that directly cribbed from Ghost in the Shell. Yeah. It's a, it's a gorgeous looking movie. I think the effects work is really excellent and it feels a little bit like what anime feels like to me. Okay. But because, I'll, and actually, it's okay. There's that one element. I don't know if you saw it, but there's that one element in the movie that is uh, uh, hashtag problematic as hell where, spoilers, you find out that Scarlett Johansson's character was once a little Japanese girl. Uh-huh. And in, in their pursuit of creating this perfect being, they took a little Japanese girl and turned her into Scarlett Johansson. The optics on that are a little strange. Yes. Especially given that there was a lot of controversy about the, the whitewashing aspect during production. It seems a little weird that at no point... Uh, did anyone go, but like the optics on this are super weird. So maybe we just like drop that line. <laughs> uh, point being, yeah, because I watched it, I got into a conversation with a friend of mine, a good friend going back years and years about anime. He's a lot more into it than I am. And we're talking about exactly what we're talking about now, about how I feel like I never really found that access point for myself that you're describing. Right. And he said, he's like, I feel like anime is for me what, old movies are for you. And I said, that makes a ton of sense, actually, because if you watch any movie pre, certainly pre 1950, Mm -hmm. it feels, I'm sure to most people just as weird and alien and borderline impenetrable as a lot of anime feels for me. And much like I was referring to this idea that I felt like I had to teach myself how to watch anime. I feel very much like I still need to teach myself how to watch anime feel like it's the same thing if you go back and you're watching older movies i feel like you really need to train a certain part of your brain to watch it in a way where you're not necessarily judging 
uh, a movie from the 1940s against a movie from 2017 because the aims are entirely different. The style choices are completely different in service of a totally different aim. Right. Much like anime. I feel like you can't really compare anime to anything but other anime. Yes. I mean, I would say having, so. Having said that, there are plenty of non-anime stories that have cribbed heavily from anime stories. Right. But I feel like as a whole, at least from an outsider's perspective, I feel like it's really tough to compare anime directly to anything but another anime. Uh, well, it's true because a, a lot of the time, anime specifically, the genre is leaned on to where you can do a lot of things that you couldn't do in other mediums like a lot of the stuff that happens in anime you couldn't even attempt to do in like live action or anything like that and so i think that that's mainly what drives the storytelling is the this idea that one you're able to essentially fulfill almost anything in within your imagination and also like a lot of it is influenced by such a rich deep history that even the lightest stories have a depth and, a, and are soaked with a little bit of sadness because of what's happened throughout the course of history in Japan. Yeah, well, to your point, one thing that I was really struck by watching just these first four episodes of Samurai Champloo was we're doing a lot of stuff that is not, not tonally dissonant, but tonally like very much all over the place in a way that doesn't feel like a mess. It feels mm -hmm. like these are intentional choices. But you'll go from this incredibly light moment to this bizarrely dark or very violent moment out of nowhere in a way that, yeah, in another medium, I feel like you wouldn't have the latitude to do. Right. You know what I mean? Like, And I'm thinking specifically of a, a couple of instances where, like, okay, the character of Fu, yeah. who... This is where all of, the, all of the moments I had where I was like, oh, that's... Hmm, that's a little... That's a, that's a little problematic as well, all centered around this character. But I think it's really fascinating that you'll get this this character, this light, this young girl, who's very bright, very up, very happy-seeming uh, on the surface, and who is, for all intents and purposes, at least at the beginning of the story, seems a lot like your POV character. Right. Because you probably have more in common with this young girl than you do with these two samurai. Mm-hmm. Uh, but... Then very quickly, you see her get involved in situations where, like, for example, she's sold. There's a moment there where she's, like, abducted and sold into the sex trade, essentially. Yes. And it's like, wow, that's that's super dark. I feel like you wouldn't get to play out the story with a child on American network television. Oh, and never. I don't I don't think that would happen. Yeah. Uh, so is that specific? Because I, I really want to dive into the, the, side, the, the problematic pieces that you had, or at least, like, those little that's really that's really the big one and i'm not so i'm not opposed to it right. you know what i mean i don't mean problematic in a sense of like they should not have done this no yeah but problematic in just in the sense of i and maybe you can tell me i feel like i wasn't even sure what i was supposed to glean from that i didn't know if it was intending to make a bigger statement other than society as it existed back then was even crummier for a lot of people than it is now but beyond that, I'm not sure what I was even meant to glean from it. It was just out of nowhere. Oh, there's a there's a plot line where our, our young POV girl character is is now a prostitute uh, against her will. That's <laughs> uh, that's happening. That's something. I don't think that there was a bigger piece to take from it. So specifically, this anime, I feel like any time that they are trying to like make some kind of point or they try to drive home something that would traditionally be kind of like 
here's your moral or lesson. They undercut it with something. Right. And and that's not me implying that I think there needs to be no. a bigger statement. I, right. Again, I was just struck by, oh, you wouldn't see this story in another yeah. medium. Or if you if you were to see it, it would be in a movie and it would be a prestige movie. It would come out like near the end of the year, be like a very gripping, harrowing drama, probably, but like Julia Roberts would play the mom or something where <laughs> her daughter was abducted and forced into like she's got to go rescue her. Be like Aaron Brockovich too, Brock Harder. And uh-huh. she has to go like with a shotgun and kick open the door and be like, Where's my daughter? That's her voice. She's dubbed. They're right. all dubbed. Okay. I watched the dub by the way. It was great. Oh, of course. Um but I feel like if you were to ever see it in a movie it would be a very like this is a serious subject and it would be treated as such Mm -hmm. it would probably win some awards be like good on you for making such a serious picture but in this story it really does feel like no there's not really nothing more to this just like yeah she's a she's an unwilling uh prostitute for a minute now and then we're gonna wrap this story up we're just gonna move on (laughs) yeah i mean mostly uh also just a sidebar that you basically described uh, Taken starring Julia Roberts. You wouldn't watch Taken starring Julia Roberts? Oh, I would. I'm just saying, you're like, it would be this real serious drama. And I'm like, would it though? It would be Taken. It would be Taken and it would have all like the whiz bang of Taken, but with a heavy emphasis on child sex trafficking. Got it. And that's what would legitimize them in the eyes of the Academy. They'd be like, this is bold. This is really, this is something, this great, this is how they talk to each uh-huh. other. This great right. motion movie look at him go <laughs> yeah oh man look at those themes <laughs> they're like quietly giggling in the corner like look at no, i like it I like this movie <laughs> look at her go look she's dubbed so bad <laughs> um oh speaking of though i did watch the dub and uh i watched it on hulu where i think you can stream the entire series correct and they give you an option you can either watch the dub or you can watch the subtitles in hindsight i probably would have got a little more out of the story had I watched the subtitles mm-hmm. with the dub, I was following everything, but periodically I would be so fixated on how great the dub was. And when I say great, I mean ridiculous. Yeah. Uh, I feel like I almost missed some information within scenes because I would get fixated on a line delivery and then I would just, that would stick in my head and that mm-hmm. would just keep, it would just repeat over and over and over for the rest of the scene. <laughs> and there were a couple of lines where, okay, I was like, this line is, is magical, but this must be like a translation thing that yeah. was a little wonky um and i the, the one thing i did like i tried to take notes but most of my notes just ended up being when i thought a line was particularly funny i would yeah. make a note of it so like the first one when uh Jin uh first runs across the i guess they're the bodyguards for the prefect's son mm-hmm. um and uh let's see da, 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 da. he's like yeah he's antagonizing them right and he goes up to one of them and he's like to serve your lord and do his bidding is that honorable? Guy says, of course it is. And he goes, even if that Lord is an unimportant piece of shit. <laughs> and I, just, I just started laughing. It's like, that's amazing. Why doesn't everybody talk like this in American movies? Right. This is so good. Um, a lot of that. Mm-hmm. Well, yes, this show specifically, this and uh, Cowboy Bebop are heralded for their amazing dubbing. Like dubbing versus dubbing is a very long bitter argument between a lot of anime fans but the this show and cowboy bebop are the ones that people can agree that the dub is good you can you can enjoy it even if you like the subs um i do personally uh i watched every other episode in dub sub dub sub because i wanted to remember what it was like listening to the the japanese as well 
just because like i personally feel like the subtitle when you get the original japanese there's a lot of like emotion uh that they are able to portray mostly because they don't have to worry about the big technical aspect of trying to match lip sync right um well i also feel too that the Obviously, it's written in Japanese, so the original Japanese, you wouldn't have to deal with translation giving you a bizarre... For example, another really bizarre line, I think, was also from episode one, yeah. was the guy that says, it wasn't too long ago that this place was called the Torture Department Store. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, try being an American actor and giving that, as you're trying to lip sync to an animated face, right? give that, like, completely straight. Mm-hmm. That is a little, bit of a, a little bit of a challenge, I would imagine. Oh, yeah. Um... But the, yeah, I, the the dub. No, no, now we're talking about the dub. The dub is really good. There's a, another moment uh, where the assassin is hitting on Jin at the like the hot spring, and he's like he gives a little smile after talking about the fireflies, and Jin goes, "Time to go." Uh, just like real subtle, not judgmental. Just like, "Yep, it's my time." Um, that Kirk, Kirk Thornton, who plays Jin, is he's known for doing a lot of really cool stoic characters. And he once talked about doing Jin and how it was probably the easiest gig he had to do because since he's so even keeled, he would just get real close to the mic and be like, "It's all you have to I'm do." Delaying, I'm delivering a line, and that was it. And everyone goes gaga for it. Well, because he, he, it's cool. Like, it brings it back to, like, the big overarching nar- uh, uh, narrative. Adjective. There we go. It's it's early in my day, kids. Um, is is cool. Like, it all just feels super, super cool. Like, in the classic sense. Almost like in the Tarantino sense of cool. Yeah. Which makes sense because he obviously, he himself draws a ton of inspiration from stories that feel quite a bit like this one. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah. that Also, though, one... What adds to it for me is how even the coolest characters in this story so far are dicks. Like, everybody's a bit of a dick in this story. Even, yeah. like, you could argue that Fu is not knowingly a dick to anybody, but I would counter with, yes, but Fu is also the worst. Fu's, yeah. just, Fu's just terrible. Like, and not a terrible character. No. I liked this character. But you, you I mean you know what I'm talking about? Like, yes. Fu is Fu is just just the worst. So much so that I think my favorite moment in all four episodes was where Jin and Mugen just ditch her. Mm-hmm. They're just they're basically just like they have a little powwow quietly, and she's like, "What are you guys over there talking about?" And then they're just like, "We're bailing," and they bail. Yeah, and they just leave her there, mm-hmm. which is fantastic. Yeah, I I think that's really what I in my initial uh, viewings. What I really enjoyed about the show is that, like, I had been watching a lot of, like, shonen anime, which is, like, teen boy-oriented. I guess it's boy-oriented into teens, um, which are all, like, really likable protagonists and fun characters. And this one, it allows people to be really shitty to one another. And, like, the plot is driven because everyone not hates each other, but like really is trying to either kill or get away from the others. Well, that's what I, I think my favorite thing about it. And this is what we started the conversation with was almost every major plot development in these first four episodes occurs because Jin and Mugen are trying to kill each other mm-hmm. and just won't stop. Like if they're in the same space, like the way, uh, the cliffhanger, uh, Hellhounds for hire part one 
ends, they see each other, and they have this moment of like, we don't actually have to fight each other. But then Mugen is basically like, I guess fate's gonna keep throwing us together. And they swing their <laughs> swords at each other, freeze frame, but for no real reason. Yeah. Other than, well, I just wanna kill you, dude. Right. And then that sparks some other event, and that leads them to the next leg of the story, but it's all a mishap born of. I just I just can't stop trying to kill this guy. Yeah. Which is probably the best motivation. I mean, that's why we're friends is every time I see you, I try to kill you. We are evenly matched. And then we're like, I think the best way to stop this is to start a podcast together. Sure. Well, of course, you know, there was that moment where we were tussling and we crashed through the glass right. in a recording studio and we landed in front of the mic uh-huh. and it picked up our rage and our our insults to each other. Mm-hmm. And the producer was sitting in the booth going, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like that. It's like that sequence in a biopic where they're like, oh my God, I think we got something. And then here we are. Yeah. That's our origin story, guys. Yep. Don't let anyone tell you different. That's how this all started. Yep. Uh, I'm probably going to try to kill Lex when this is done. Mm. Yep. Look forward to it. I'm going to escape by dressing as a lady to infiltrate (laughs) a place. Oh, great. I did like like how casually Jin was like, yeah, I'll dress like a lady. Like, and I feel like we didn't even, did we even see that moment where he's like, yes, this is the plan. I like that we just made this plan and we we did it. And he he makes a very, he's very he's a handsome lady. He does. Um, I I forgot how much I like Jin, mostly because he's really subtly good. Like his name itself means like benevolent. It's based on one of the ancient Buddha principles or blah 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 blah. But like every time that he intervenes on someone else's behalf, it's because he's like trying to subtly do something nice for them. Yes. Um, he's and, I, and he's got a he's got a nobility to him and integrity to him. Mm-hmm. But he's also again, it's like that dichotomy where he's got those qualities, but he is also a bit of a dick, and he yeah. also can't seem to resist the urge to kill this other dude whenever he sees him. It's an honor thing. He couldn't kill him the first time. But it but it is interesting how all three of the main characters are very nuanced. They're all very complex. Mm-hmm. Even though, again, like I feel like. In most animes I've watched, I feel like a lot of the storytelling is very presentational. But I'm also, I'm used to watching the dub. And I feel like the dub adds even more of that presentational aspect. Right. So when you see, like, you know, instead of just saying, like, when they're playing the dice game, like, it's time to play. You get, it's time. And, like, these big hand gestures. It's time to play. Like, all of that. Yeah. So even even with the very heavily presentational style of the story I was being told, I was still very impressed by like, wow, everybody's actually really layered. Mm-hmm. And, and again, only in these first four half hour episodes where all manner of ridiculous stuff is going on, <laughs> all three of these characters did feel, they felt like people, which I feel, again, as an anime outsider, I feel like is a weird thing for me to say about one of these stories, but they all felt real. Yeah. And they all reminded me very much of, of types, but also of other specific characters. I mean, at multiple points, but we talked about Kurosawa a minute ago, at multiple points throughout these four episodes, I went, oh, these two guys are both char- basically characters right out of Seven Samurai. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jin is, uh, Kuzo is the name of the sword master, who's yeah. like the, the one they recruit, who much like we see a couple fights in this show, I think Mugen actually is the one who kills the dude at the end of episode four, yes. but the same type of fight where you see the two of them run at each other, and Kuzo will just do one move, one quick move, and the other guy 
falls. Mm-hmm. He reminds me very much, or Jin reminds me very much of him. Whereas, of course, Mugen's character reminds me very, very much of Kikuchio, the Tashiro Mafune character, who's almost the same guy. Like, if you told me that Mugen, I think Mugen's supposed to be 19? Yeah, he's 19. Okay. So if you told me that, uh, you know, five, six years from now, he would grow into the Tashiro Mafune character from Seven Samurai, I would say, well, that makes a weird amount of sense. Right. Um, yes. And I think that another aspect is that, like, I think that even the side characters are pretty layered as well. I think the only character that was fairly one-dimensional was, I think his name was Soichi, who was the, uh, he was the little boy who was trying to save the girl. Yes. Which I think, in, in retrospect, was a play on the traditional protagonists of anime where they are like very one dimensional, very much like here's my superficial view of what justice is and I'm going to do what it takes. Damn the rules. Uh, I'm going to do this thing and it's going to work out for me. And that's what I, I did like about that character because you're right. He is a little bit one note, but it became when you see how his little arc resolves in that fourth episode, it becomes clear that that's, it's not an accident. That's very much the point. Right. I like that this is not a world for uh, traditional Boy Scout do-gooder heroes. And I like that in trying to be that, he ends up well, he ends up getting his father killed, essentially. Yeah. But that moment, too, was another moment where I went, okay, this scene is very tense, and we know the stakes are high, and we've seen violence on the show, and we know this group will have no issue killing him. But I was still that moment where, very quickly, his father was like, uh, we, we owe you a life. Uh, in place of his, I offer mine. And then really quick, there wasn't even a, okay, we accept. Just kills himself. Just uh-huh. straight takes his dagger and puts it right into himself, and he's got the blood coming out of his mouth. And I had a moment of like, oh, wow, we got here really quickly. This is quite <laughs> jarring. Um, but I really liked that that the whole point of that arc seemed to be, and it fills out the world too, because it seems to be like, here's what happens to somebody this, uh, it's in a cliche way, very good and noble and heroic. Yeah. This is what happens to them in this world. Look at how terribly it goes when you try to be this guy, when you don't play a little bit dirty. Mm-hmm. Like, but it wasn't even that he wasn't playing dirty. He he didn't understand the world that he was inhabiting. Well, right. He didn't... Okay, I'll, I'll phrase it this way. Right. Yeah. He was way out of his depth. And even if he was willing to bend the rules a little bit, he's it's not in him. And if it was ever going to be, it's certainly not in him yet to bend the rules as far and as occasionally violently as some of these guys will. Yeah. And he just was not, could, could not have been in his defense prepared for it. Right. But knowing that he should have maybe stayed out of it. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> um, I, I also uh, really liked this character, I guess, juxtaposition. So in the second episode we have, uh, what is his name? Oniwaka, yeah. who's the, like, ugly guy, and we the, have the, the guy who's actually a monster. Yeah, this, this I thought was really, I was, I was moved by it, which was something else that I was really not expecting when I watched, because I tend to find anime so impenetrable. Mm-hmm. I did not expect at all, that so early on, too, that we'd get a little piece of plot and characterization that actually got me in the emotions. Yeah. And specifically, it's the moment where this, this uh, ogre fellow uh, essentially, well, he's, he's, spoilers, he's dying. Yeah. And he tells Fu when she's like, no, he's just like, hold on, it's going to be okay. And the ogre basically says, no, it is okay. Like, you showed me 
that you know you weren't afraid of me and I don't feel like a monster anymore and I can mm-hmm. die at peace. And I thought, oh my God, like it's me. Uh, this <laughs> is the most, no, it was like genuinely a really beautiful moment. And I was not, I did not think I was going to get there right. with this show, especially so soon. Mm-hmm. Um, well, that's what's so great about it is like they, I feel like they really take the time because the whole show is, of the 26 episodes are a lot of small arcs. Uh, up until the the end where you start to like really pull a lot of stuff together so people from earlier in the show start to kind of come back and you you find your way towards yeah, like the, the first climax. the first four obviously there are threads that we're following and obviously you get little bits of continuity but it's not really continuity in, in events it's more continuity of character right but yet yeah, very episodic in that there'd be one little adventure and then the next episode they'd be uh, they would meet and they'd try and kill each other again and they would spark a new little adventure mm-hmm. and it did seem like if there was continuity it was getting everybody to a point where they would begrudgingly travel together right um, which, which is something else that I'm, I'm genuinely curious about this, uh, uh, what is it? This man who smells like flowers. Is oh, the sunflower is? samurai. Sunflower. Yes. Is this, so obviously this is a thing. This is like their, their MacGuffin, if you will. Right. They're, they're, but is this without like spoiling the entire thing in case I do go back and finish it? Yeah. Is this a do we actually meet this guy at some point? Because there's a lot of conversation about this person. Is this uh, a real guy or is this an idea that they're following or is this like a myth that she bought into? Um, it's a real person. Okay. Uh, I can't tell you who the person is or what happens to that samurai, but I can tell you that it's a real person. And the last, like, I want to say six to four, four to six episodes are all centered around them. And their discovery of this person. Okay, but so we don't really get there till the last couple. I mean, it's not a very long show. Yeah, I suppose. only twenty six episodes. Um, the essentially the the arc of the show is this first act was them begrudgingly getting together, and then it's them kind of sniffing around trying to either get money or trying to follow some clues that they get. So essentially, it's a mix of one-off episodes of them trying to forage for food, one uh, small arcs of them getting information about the Sunflower Samurai, and then there are a few episodes that are just thrown in for wacky fun times. Like, there's a baseball episode that I, I, if you had more time, I would have just had you watch because it didn't have anything to do with the plot, but it was, it's based on when baseball was being brought to Japan. And so you get our main characters playing baseball with these really stereotypical American characters. And it's just insane. Uh, and so you get episodes like that up until uh, they remember to bring the plot back and then it's full steam ahead, high stakes stuff. Well, I'm glad though that we had time to play baseball. But it is what I'm thinking about is like you were talking about uh, earlier about how part of the story and part of a lot of stories set in a, in the same era is this idea of uh, this culture that's existed for such a long time and now the the modern world is encroaching upon this culture that still exists it's still hanging on but i feel like it's really easy to forget i mean broadly we only as people we conceptualize time in such a way where it feels like every it's such a it's so long and everything is so far apart than the big you know in the tapestry of history mm-hmm. but it's easy to forget how quickly in in this case for example how quickly m- the modern world 
moved in and supplanted that culture. I mean, you're just talking about baseball, but like it's really easy to forget. And even if you remember to have an image in your head of there were still, I, I believe there were still samurai walking around while people were walking the streets with like rifles and bigger, like, mm-hmm. or am I just, maybe I'm just thinking about the Tom Cruise movie, but I, but I feel like actually the Tom Cruise movie is a fairly accurate representation of this idea that that culture still existed. That even if they were on their last legs, that culture still existed while these other, I mean, these white colonialists were moving in and essentially forcing modernity upon a world that I would argue didn't necessarily need it, definitely right. didn't ask for it. Yeah. But how quickly it happened. Once it started happening, how quickly it progressed. Yeah, that was the, the I guess, the moving train that kind of defines this era is that you get a lot of like stories about people who were soldiers or, or part of a samurai community who live in a world without a place. And and it's like the old stories that we get even now where, you know, you have someone who is an elite soldier and doesn't know how to live in regular civilian society, which is basically just an adaptation of this story, type of storytelling. Um, and it, I feel like really got big around the time of, I think I mentioned World War II, because during, you know, Japanese occupation, there were all these soldiers who were, um, who who didn't have a place and who were, I guess, f- fighters for hire for a while and then had to be subjugated by another group of people. Um, and a lot of this genre also was making fun of its, uh, its regime or they were using this style to make fun of the current government while, or satirize, I won't say make fun of, but to satirize their original, their, their government using uh, a fun undertone, undertone? Yes. They were using samurai stories to satirize their government. Sure. Yes. Yes. That was, you know, that was my long way of saying <laughs> you are right. Uh, the other thing I thought was really cool, and obviously this idea of honor and having a code has uh, been a pretty constant presence in every samurai story that I'm familiar with. Yeah. But I like how we really see it, how, where you have to mix that sense of honor and nobility with eating and having to make money. And there are moments where that I really, really appreciated. Like, there's a, Jin is fighting, uh, I guess, not an assassin necessarily, but a bodyguard who's working for... I think maybe it's still like working for somebody who's connected to the prefect's son, but they're fighting. They're very much trying to kill each other. Yeah. And then his client is dispatched Mm -hmm. and he has, he stops fighting and he says, well, now that my client's dead, I don't actually have a reason to kill you. Right. Peace. Essentially. And I'm like, well, that's pretty great. Cause like, he's not just going to get, they're not bloodthirsty. Mm -hmm. They will kill and they are very good at violence, but they don't, do it lightly and they don't do it because they like the violence. If they do it, it's because either there is a good noble reason to do it or because this is my job. Right. I'm not going to kill you freely. I'm not, it's not, I don't dispense murders willy nilly, but if it is my job, yes, you, you will die. I'm bound to the job that I agreed to do. Mm-hmm. If, if the guy who hired me for the job no longer exists, I'm not going to get paid. There's no job, and there's no reason for me to kill you. So we're good, right? We're yeah. good. We're fine. You get it. <laughs> oh, yeah. I get it. Yeah, no hard feelings. Um, which I feel like is such a big theme 
throughout the show, but especially in these first few episodes, because we get that same reoccurring uh, theme when we have that that speech by Heitaro, the the more benevolent leader of the Yakuza, where he's talking about essentially the other the other dude. I want to say his name is Reiki. Has he has no honor? He has no real. Uh, I guess. He, he only cares about money. He doesn't care about what the needs of the people are. And he doesn't really respect what the Yakuza are about. And even the Yakuza himself, he doesn't realize that they are on their way out. There's a new, there's a new regime coming and there's no place for them in this world. And so he, he thinks that he's going to be this big shot, but he's nobody in the, in the bigger picture. Yes. 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 That's, yeah. That is true. <laughs> Thank you for agreeing with me. It really like helps my self-esteem. <laughs> we all we all need a little bit of validation Great. every every once in a while. Yeah. Yeah. Aww. Aww. Good feelings. Totally. Love those good good feelings. Um <laughs> So, I mean, what else stuck out to you uh about the show if anything? Well, so very very broadly, I do feel like this would be a pretty solid gateway into more anime for me. Does that mean that I am now going to commit myself to to filling my brain with all of the anime that I can acquire? No, not, yes. ne- not necessarily. But if I were to go back and make the time, I do believe, especially because this is the same guy who created Cowboy Bebop, and that is also, that is the title that keeps getting thrown at me. It's like, oh, I think, even if you don't like anime, I think you're really going to like this one. Although every time... Sidebar, every time I've been told that and I've gone and tried the thing, I've been like, no, I get it. I get why you like this, but I'm not, I feel, uh, Akira, I still, I've tried so many times and I can't, but see, okay, 50-50, the face you just made. Yes. 50-50, I get this reaction. I get, I get, uh, Akira's a masterpiece. It's one of the greatest pieces ever to come out of this particular uh, medium or style. I'm like, all right, really? And then I get the other 50% is the reaction you just gave me, the nonverbal reaction, which is, all right, but, like, Akira, what, this, and, like, whatever, it's not that good, or it's not, like, it's even more inaccessible, whatever, so I'm like, why is everybody, why is everybody hurting me that way, then? Okay, so it's both of those things. So it is, it's a masterpiece. It is visually stunning. It looks super cool. That is consistent. Any anime I've tried, even the ones that I feel the least into, every single one of them, like, this is gorgeous. Yeah. Look at it. But it is highly inaccessible, especially if it's your first anime or your first few exposures. It is the story itself, because it is a, a weird adaptation of a longer story from the manga... You're getting basically a mid-volume. I see. And so nothing about it makes sense. So essentially you have to look at it from the perspective of, oh, this is cool. But like, right, if which, you're, which I get, but yeah. oh, this is cool gets tired after about five to seven minutes. Right. Uh, so, I mean, yep, that's, that's the thing. I think you have to have a deeper appreciation for one – the the story it was trying to tell the the idea of its influences based on the uh, world like the the bomb being dropped and all the mutants coming out of it and so you have to understand it contextually within the history of Japan and then you have to understand that like 
there are deeper allegories in terms of, you know, the government's, them being occupied and other governments coming in and trying to subjugate the people and them feeling like they needed their own sense of power, etc. So, like, there are so many different layers you need to understand to truly appreciate it beyond, wow, this is cool. There's a light behind the motorcycle. Right. And that's, that's even, even understanding some of the broad context for it, I mostly got stuck at, oh, look at how cool there's a light behind the motorcycle. Right. And then again, that's only really going to sustain me for tops like 10 minutes. Yeah. And then I'm going, but like, what <laughs> is happening? Um, yeah. Just watch assorted sequences from it and then have someone tell you what you're missing is I feel like the, like if, if I were to have a second podcast just on my own, it would be me filling up all the missing information, playing the piece, the pieces of Akira that are cool. And then being like, and this is what this is. And this is what this is. And this is what this is cool. And then it leads into this sequence and then playing that sequence just because like, it's so disjointed from what it's supposed to be. Like Akira in name is, not even featured in the movie uh it like you you get the end spoiler alert where essentially akira the the ghost uh talks to the main character who ends up becoming the monster thing but like other than that i don't believe i've ever actually made it all the way through akira yeah it's very hard it's very hard to get through so so i want good then it's not just me that has a bit of, and again, I feel like it would be easier if I trained my brain to watch anime a little bit more efficiently. Right. But even still, I wonder if I'd be able to get. It feels so impenetrable to me <laughs> that I feel like maybe even then I wouldn't be able to to scale that peak. But okay, so so Samurai Champloo, obviously the next place to go for for me or for anybody else that was trying to get into anime in general. Next place to go would obviously be Cowboy Bebop, but like, what other are there other well-known animes that are comparable, if not one to one, and something that you feel like okay, well, if you got into Samurai Champloo, you might also get into X. Right. Yes. So uh, outside of Cowboy Bebop, I would say the best the best thing that I recommend for people is to start with more short-run anime like Samurai Champloo that are only 26 episodes, uh, usually split into sets of 12 uh, or sets of 13 because of math. Um, and so a big one that a lot of people are really, really enjoy are Attack on Titan, which for season 26 episodes... I've heard a lot of people talk about Attack on Titan, and that's the one where it's basically giant monsters trying to break down a wall and kill everybody, right? Correct. See, that sounds cool, but I always, I phrase it this way, sounds really cool, but I've never started that journey because I've always found most anime to be impenetrable. And I was like, wow, this is great. The version of this in my head is so dope that how, how is the version in a style that I'm not super familiar with or used to going to compare to that? Yeah. So I've never actually made that leap it's i think for me the most intriguing thing is figuring out what the the main barrier is because like you were you were able to get into the oniwaka story 
And so you're able to relate with the characters. So a lot of time when people are watching anime, they find a character that they super duper relate to and they watch the, the story that's happening around that person. So like there are three main archetypes in a lot of, especially shonen anime, which they call the heart, head and body. And you get this in Samurai Champloo, which is Jin is the, the head, mostly like the thinking strategic character. The heart is Fu, which is mostly the one who does the moral thing and is kind of the moral compass and the, the heart of the group. And then the body, who is mostly uh, typically like a wild character or someone who uh, kind of powers their way through obstacles. And a lot of the times the body character is the main character, which a lot of people... If you're watching, like, say, a Naruto, um, you're like, Naruto's that another one that I've heard a bunch about. Mm-hmm. And a, a good, another good friend of mine, going back years and years, just relatively recently, I think, had seen it before, but watched the entire thing. Right. And I would occasionally get commentary from him, be like, yeah, like, I'm on episode whatever. And I'd be like, I don't know what that means. <laughs> and he's like, and this is happening. And it's like, it was really cool. And I like when this happens. I'm like, that sounds fun, dude. I don't know what you're talking about right. at all. And that's a long one. That's like, I don't typically recommend it. Uh, as anyone's first, second, third, or even like tenth anime. So that's Most, like when you when you're like on the hard difficulty setting, right? Yeah, mostly because it takes such a commitment, um, and it, that show specifically has a lot of characters uh, that you can relate to. But at the same time, like that's you trying to commit to seven hundred episodes of a show. So I how, are always, they all? Are they all like twenty three ish minutes? Yes. Uh, a lot of episodes. It is. I caught up when I was in college, so that, that would be allowed the time. me to... Yes. Yeah, that would be the time to do it. Um, but for people who have lives and things to do, I always recommend really short stuff. You just really gestured at me like I have a life. You, I uh, mean, for people who are doing podcasts and also hanging out with me, I recommend uh, very succinct shows. So... Uh, Let's see. What's a, another good one is Future Diary. What is Future Diary? Uh, Future Diary is basically there's a survival game where people have their diaries are on their cell phones because that Japan is very cell phone oriented and they have to find each other and each of their diaries have a special power. So our main character, his power allows him to see what happened. Like he'll read future entries of himself. Um and use that in order to hunt down the other people in this survival game. Okay. Um, it's really it's really fascinating. The main character is, he's kind of a weenie, but this girl who's obsessed with him is Im- immensely crazy, which I think is brings a, an odd dynamic. And also it just has a fun cast of characters. Like everyone you meet, you get really invested in their lives. And so to have to have them... Uh, try to kill each other is kind of tragic in a way. Uh, the same thing, another survival game series that I really, really enjoy and recommend is Fate Zero. That, that vaguely rings a bell too. Uh, I've probably mentioned it a few times because it's amazing. Um, just in terms of the the visuals are great. The, the characters, you they're so layered and you care about them so much that... Every time they have to fight or interact, you, at least I, feel my heart kind of clench because 
that you spend so much time with them and you get to know them and and you you never hate anyone but you know that they're all fighting towards this one thing and you have to come out with one person at the end okay um and so like that one i always recommend however the first episode is very hard to get to get through so you just get through the first episode a lot of the character design looks the same so it's it'll be a little hard to track who is who initially but then after that you are you jump on board and you know who everyone is and then you can just go and write it out okay yeah now now i'm really like racking my brain too like what other animes do i even know of now i feel like we (laughs) hit we hit most of the ones ever except okay uh what is it uh one punch man I think you've oh, mentioned to me yes. a few times. Mm-hmm. What is what is that? Other than what the title seems to imply is he's a dude. He's really good at fighting. So good at fighting, in fact, that he only has to punch you once. Um, yes. So One Punch Man. Is that accurate? Did I get it right? That is exactly what it's about. Hey. Um, it's a it's kind of a takedown or parody or a satire of anime in general. So they take a lot of the tropes that. Are you find in a lot of anime over the last decade or so, and they kind of turn them on their heads. So the idea of the main character is that he is so powerful that he can kill everyone in one punch, which leads him to be very lonely and undriven. Well, just stop punching people, dude. You'd probably have more friends. I mean, well, he doesn't... Like, people will seek him out because of his strength, or he, like, just goes about his normal day, and then... For example, one of the times uh, he there was an invasion of mosquitoes and he hates mosquitoes or whatever. And he ended up just following one back to the main horde and he just happened to be there. She attacked and he like hit her and he's like, damn, I killed her in one hit. I'm sad. Um, So wait, he killed the mosquito. He skilled like it was a lady who was controlling all the mosquitoes. I she see. was like a big giant monster. Well, in fairness, that sounds like somebody that maybe not kill, but that sounds like somebody you maybe want to keep in check somehow. Right. Monster lady with the mosquito army. Yeah. So a lot of the times he just happens to run into these like monsters through happenstance. And they're like, <laughs> they want him either out of the way in terms of like, He's shopping and they like destroy the shopping mart. And he's like, why would you do that? And they're like, you're a puny human. And he punches them and they die. And he's like, why? <laughs> this show sounds awesome. It's amazing. Uh, like, I guess it would be it would be both a, a blessing and a curse in the classic sense, because you need you need that guy. Yeah. You need the guy who, when monsters show up and trash the supermarket, can deal with them pretty quickly and efficiently. But I guess being that guy would be pretty tough because even if everybody's really appreciative of the punching you did to save them from the monsters, you're also the dude who can kill anybody he wants at any time with one punch. Right. You, yeah, I guess I buy that you maybe wouldn't you wouldn't have a big old entourage around you celebrating nah. your every move. Okay, so that actually sounds pretty entertaining. Yeah. And I think maybe the only other one that I know right off the top of my head is uh, Death Note. Yes. And I know very little about Death Note other than if you write someone's name in this book, they die, which sounds like at least one Goosebumps story that I vaguely <laughs> remember from childhood. And then also 
of course, uh, Adam Wingard did a movie version for Netflix, which is coming out pretty soon, that people are grumpy about because it's got white people in it. Which, yeah, I hear you. I mean... It, but also, but also, <laughs> yeah. but also, no, you tell me that this is actually, this is actually a legitimate question. Yeah. Is there anything about the story that needs, that requires the central characters be Japanese? Uh, or is it a matter, is it simply a matter of, it's a Japanese story told by Japanese storytellers, why would we not honor these Japanese storytellers by keeping it a Japanese story, which is an argument I very much see. But is there something in the story itself that says, like, we can't tell basically the same story, but uh, Americanized? Um, I mean, well, if they were, if they still had it set in Japan, I mean, that would be weird. I mean, this one is set in uh, Seattle, so you expect there to be a higher white population. Sure, but it could also Um, be like, it could be like Tokyo Drift. Where like the white kid goes to Japan to learn about yeah de- we don't de- no de- we don't speak books. about Tokyo Drift Tokyo Drift I will ready controversial opinion Tokyo Drift a little bit underrated uh, it will we'll do a whole Fast and the Furious oh, we can. marathon one day we'll do eight episodes <laughs> of how you are missing out on the kids don't sleep on Fast and the Furious I would not have called this either but it's low key genius uh, but okay. Could be could be like Tokyo Drift, where like the one white, but at that point, why make him a white kid? But right. if the one white kid goes to Japan, lives in that in that scenario, and everybody knows about the death book magic except him, and that's how he ends up in this mess. And uh-huh. then everybody's like, "Silly American, k- killing people with the death book." Is that what this is about? What is yeah, this about? That's it about. No. I know there's that monster thing that Willem Dafoe was apparently playing yes. in this in okay. this version. Let me give you the the rundown of what the the main story is about. Yes. Where um, essentially it's in, in the original version, it's a Japanese kid who finds this notebook, and the notebook was dropped by the monster thing, which is a death god. Um, so Ryuk, who is the death god, and Light, who is the kid, relate because they're both so bored with life, um, and. Uh, Light decides that he's going to use this in order to stop crime by punishing as many criminals as possible, uh, ranging from people who uh, littered to people who murdered. Uh, basically, any any crime he will punish you for, so it make it deters people from committing crimes. Sure. Um, and so then it becomes this cat and mouse game between the world's greatest detective and this kid who batman uh yeah batman and uh and this little boy not little boy this teenager if you if you told me with a straight face that this story was about batman fighting a death god i would i'd actually get up i'd leave i would go home and i would watch it right now <laughs> yeah that's what it's about everyone that's what it's about I don't know if I... I feel like I would have heard by now if Batman fought a death god in death. And that's what it was about. I feel like there would be a lot more hubbub than there is amongst American audiences. It's a secret. It's a secret. It's a secret yeah. Batman project. Um, so, essentially, what makes the story very Japanese in theme is this boredom where this kid is on a specific track and... The world around him, to him at least, seems very, um, it seems like garbage. Uh, a lot of the, the arrogance that he, uh, that he exudes is not 
very common in Japanese culture. Um, and that's what makes him whereas like, stand out. Whereas it's incredibly common, it's tragically common in American culture. Right. So having this, like this kid who is fairly entitled, uh, in the newer version, um, I don't know how well it will track. I'm not sure how, how their themes are going to go. Like, it feels like he's working in tandem with Misa or, whatever her name is in the American version. Whereas like in the original version, he was very, he was, he was basically psychopathic in that he couldn't relate to this girl and he was using her for his own means. Um, and so like they could find a way to make this uniquely American in that he, he feels like he, it is his duty and his, his like destiny as, uh, or something in order to like stop crime uh, because he is like special in some way, which is a very American thing to feel. Right. Um, so it is. So it's another like uh, uh, white guy chosen one narrative, essentially. I mean, that's that's how I feel like they could and should play it. Uh, if they if they're going to make it American, they should have him feel like he was chosen. Whereas, like in the in the original story, like it could have been anyone who picked up the death note. It could have like it just happened to be light. But see, but that is so much more compelling to yes. me. Like I feel like we don't need another white male chosen one story. I feel like we have so many of those, and many of which I, I like a good deal. Yeah. But we have so many of those. Whereas the idea that it could actually be anybody mm-hmm. like, you know, because I know everybody wants to feel like, yes, yeah, secretly I'm the chosen one. And I'm just, I'm just waiting for some, some mythic figure to show up and reveal my destiny to me. Fine. But I think it's so much more compelling, this idea that none of us necessarily have a destiny. Any one of us at any moment could suddenly trip and fall and find ourselves in the middle of a big, like a demonic spirit quest. Essentially. That's a lot more, interesting yeah and i feel like it's it may be just a difference in cultural perspective which makes me go okay that that alone i think would have been reason enough to keep it japan centric and not notice i'm sure adam wingard's gonna do a good job like he's a dude's great filmmaker i don't if you've seen the guest the guest is great yeah even his uh blair witch movie which came out made no money and got torn apart by critics actually another one that I think is way underrated, it's going to be largely inaccessible for most people because what they did is they really cracked open the mythology of the Blair Witch, not just stuff from the first movie, but stuff that was like in tie in books and Mm -hmm. was like, you had to like search a bunch of different uh, websites that were designed around the same time. And it heavily pulls from all of that. So like if you're a Blair Witch uh, completist, if you are in love with that mythology and there are those people, it's like it was made, specifically for you and they did a really good job given their intention yeah if you're not a Blair Witch completist you'd be forgiven for going this is this is just like the first movie but I understand it less (laughs) having said that I really like Adam Wingard I'm really curious to see what he does with it but it does it seems a little bit like well why couldn't we have if we're going to do a live action version even if we don't want it to be all in Japanese so we subtitle the whole thing just have Japanese actors have it have it set in Japan and everybody could even if if you think American audiences won't respond to subtitles because they frequently don't yeah you even have them speaking English to each other but why we could have set it differently right I also I don't even need it set in in Japan I would 
even have just liked if the main character was like a Japanese dude living it. It's not like there aren't Japanese people living in America. Right. You could really, you could have an America set story so that American audiences don't feel too scared or alienated. But yeah, you're, there's no reason your main character can't be Japanese. Right. And again, look, I don't know who this, this actor is who's in it. Uh, I'm sure he'll do a fine job as well. Like no disrespect to him. And of course you don't, if you're an actor and you're an up and coming actor, you don't, you don't not take a job. Right. So I don't begrudge him taking the job there there's a school of thought that says well if you're a white actor it's your responsibility not to take those jobs and i think there is a line there's definitely a line somewhere yes i do feel like if the if it's not written again if you change the story to such an extent where it doesn't require your lead to be japanese for example yeah you take if you're if you're an up-and-coming actor you need the work you need the credits you want to work with a filmmaker that people know about like yeah you, you take the job i don't begrudge this dude his his paycheck right i'm not yeah i'm going to watch it uh especially because uh i think the dude who plays l who was in uh he was in get out he was also in atlanta he's real dope is Uh, it uh uh stanfield uh i think so yeah lakeith stanfield i believe yeah yeah yeah, the tall fellow yes yeah yeah yeah. uh he is fantastic he's a great actor and the the role of l one having a super genius being played by a black guy is sweet representation. Um, but also it just looks like he's going to be a different type of character, which he's going to, he'll be a different version of the character, which I think will be really intriguing. Sure. Um, I mean, I have no, I have no baseline for it, not knowing what the original version of the character was, Yeah. but I, I take your word for it. And I really, I like him a lot. So yeah. more of his work is always a positive thing and more, it's more exposure for him because whether or not this adaptation ends up, being any good at all I, a bunch of people are probably going to watch it yeah i mean i think that maybe we should do a missing out episode once it comes out that would what be you- interesting and we could maybe like compare the one to the other like you can make me go back and watch some of the original and then i can have a baseline for when i watch yeah this new because i'm sure i'll check this new movie out it's going to be right. in when it's released it's going to be in my home immediately uh-huh. so i'll probably throw it on out of curiosity mostly to see the willem dafoe monster but i might stay for everything else <laughs> um but yeah i would definitely be down at some point i feel like that's for me the best way to get into that entire mythology is just to have both in front of me and be able to compare, compare and contrast. contrast actually have a baseline yeah beyond this movie is a movie yeah that i watch okay uh, what do you guys at home think? Should we watch the Death Note movie and talk about it? Let us know on social media. You can find us at Missing Outcast on Twitter. Yes. Before, real quick though, before we wrap, because I feel like we're we're moving into the wrapping spiel. Yes. I do want to just bring everything back around because I feel like we started talking about Samurai Shemplu and then it became a discussion about anime in general. Yeah. You recommended this show to me knowing that I was somebody for whom it has been difficult to get into anime in the past. So yes. what what was it specifically about this show that you felt like it would be a suitable gateway drug to the rest of it. The main thing that I think is accessible about Samurai Champloo is that it, it does have the, the modern aspect of hip hop and it's it, so that makes it more accessible. I felt like the storytelling in this show, I could show you a few episodes without you having to have the full view of the show. 
so that also made it fairly recommendable. Uh, also, it's one of my favorites. It was, for me, a genre buster. Uh, it allowed me to see a different aspect of anime than I, I usually did. Uh, so I feel like it's a it's one of the better gateway anime because it has a little bit of Western style with, mixed in with the classic Akira Kurosawa style. Got it. Yeah. Yeah, and that tracks. And I, I saw all of that as well. And and like I said, am I am I now powerfully compelled to go devour every bit of anime that I can I can acquire? Yes. Not not, not necessarily, but. I am definitely a lot more on board with the idea that there is something for me there mm-hmm. than I have been in the past. Yeah. So I think it did its job. Good. Uh, would you recommend it? I knew you were going to ask me this question, and my answer is yeah, <laughs> with, a, with a question mark on the end, because I, yes, but I don't know who I'd recommend it too necessarily i've got a couple well i've got a couple of friends as i mentioned uh that are into anime and i guess i would go to them and i'd say well have you checked this out and they'd say in this hypothetical scenario no i have not and i would say well i have no real basis for comparison but as somebody who doesn't typically watch anime i thought this was pretty cool so as somebody who does typically watch anime you might find a lot more in it than even I did. Yeah. So definitely, if people if people are into the form and into the medium, then for sure. If not, I would I would be honest with them, and I'd say exactly what I said to you. I'd say, well, it's not really my cup of tea either, and I still found it surprisingly accessible. Which I mean, I think is a very high recommendation, and that like it, I know having watched anime for now decades um, that. It can be hard to get into. So as someone who isn't uh, an avid watcher, for you to have even found a few avenues into it, I think it had to have stand stood out amongst the rest. Yeah, agreed. I mean, again, having no basis for comparison to the rest, Don't I, matter. I buy it. And it definitely, a lot did very much stand out to me as uh, elements that I feel like if I followed it long enough that I could, I could definitely hook into on a sustained yeah. basis. Awesome. Uh, All right. So I'm going to move into the wrapping spiel. Yes. Thanks for joining us here on Missing Out. I am Tari J. Miller. Uh, Me. I am Lex Michael. Uh, And you can find us all over social media at Missing Out uh, Cast, at Missing Out Cast on Twitter. Uh, You can find me at Tari J. That's T-A-U-R-I-J-A-Y. And I am all over all of the social media things at the Lex Michael. Great. Uh, Thanks for joining us once more. Make sure you follow us for future episodes. Make sure you subscribe so you can get the latest episodes every Tuesday morning in your item inbox thing. And... Come tell me about all of the animes that I should watch and why I should watch them. Pitch me your favorite anime, and if you pitch it well enough, I'm going to add it to my list of things to watch, and if I add it to my list of things to watch now, I might get to it by 2023. Oh, great. That's not too far off. No, it's close enough. (laughs) Yeah, I can't wait till someone pitches you the one where people fight with their butts. Is that a thing? That's a thing. Huh. Great. (laughs) See you next week.